Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to A History of Evangelicals and Politics, the Obama Era. This is episode 22, The Senate Conducts Hearings on Marriage. I'm John Fia. The Associated Press called it Massachusetts Wedding Day. On May 17, 2004, Hillary and Julie Goodridge, the plaintiffs in the Goodridge v. Massachusetts Department of Health case that made same-sex marriage legal in the state, finally got married. A local Unitarian Universalist minister presided over the ceremony, and their eight-year-old daughter, Annie, was the ring bearer and flower girl. Rainbow confetti filled the air as the couple exited City Hall and someone played what the AP called a special rendition of Here Comes the Brides. Bear with me here as I sing a verse. Long may you be free, legally free, finally hitched by a 4-3 decree. Indeed, when the Massachusetts legislature failed to reach an agreement on a state constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage, the November 2003 4-3 decision to allow the distribution of wedding licenses went into effect. The Goodriches were joined by more than 1,000 couples in 351 Massachusetts cities and towns. And over the course of the next four years, 10,000 same-sex couples would get married in the Commonwealth. The Christian right was, of course, ready with commentary. Lou Sheldon of the Traditional Values Coalition held a news conference in Boston with members of the city's black clergy. Usually something isn't believable until it is on fire and heterosexual marriage has now been seriously damaged, he said. It's almost like the enemy has attacked and now there has to be a serious comeback. And I believe you're going to see a serious comeback in the next few months. James Dobson of Focus on the Family said that the documents being issued all across Massachusetts may say marriage license at the top, but they are really death certificates for the institution of marriage. 
Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council called what was happening to marriage in Massachusetts a wake-up call to conservative America. Fred Phelps of the Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, sent a small group of protesters to protest outside the Cambridge, Massachusetts City Hall, carrying signs with anti-gay slogans. Ray McNulty, a spokesperson for the Massachusetts Family Institute, criticized Phelps and his group, saying that the hateful speech the Westboro Baptists brought to Massachusetts was not needed. But then he added, what's going on in Cambridge is legal. And as far as I'm concerned, give those people their happiness for the day. President George W. Bush once again called on Congress to pass an amendment to the United States Constitution banning gay marriage. The cat was now officially out of the bag on gay marriage. And ever since the Massachusetts Supreme Court issued the Goodridge decision, states across America wanted to make sure that the practice would not happen in their backyards. As of May 2004, proposed state constitutional amendments banning gay marriage were under consideration in Ohio, Missouri, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Utah, Arkansas, Montana, Oregon, Alabama, Delaware, Illinois, Louisiana, Minnesota, and Vermont. We will return to some of these proposals in later episodes as we work our way closer to the November 2004 election. Meanwhile, a federal marriage amendment sponsored by Colorado Representative Marilyn Musgrave and Colorado Senator Wayne Allard, we've talked about this in previous episodes, was still stuck in committee. In the spring of 2004, the supporters of this amendment held a series of hearings on the institution of marriage and its contribution to a healthy society. These hearings were not designed to argue against same-sex marriage per se, but they were rather designed to support George W. Bush's drive to promote marriage in general. Bush was ready to pour at least $1 billion in federal spending into the promotion of what he called his Supporting Healthy Marriage Project. Bush made the defense of the institution of marriage a central component of his 2004 reelection campaign, even before his February announcement calling for a federal amendment banning same-sex marriage. Yet it was hard to see these Senate hearings as anything but an attempt to defend traditional marriage as a bedrock institution of Western civilization. Though gay marriage was rarely mentioned during these hearings, it is worth noting that three of the four hearings were conducted without any supporters of gay marriage or opponents of a federal marriage amendment in the room. And though the expert witnesses at the hearing only mentioned the gay marriage when asked about it, and even then their answers were vague, it was clear that those presiding over the hearings were using the comments and formal written statements of these experts to strengthen their belief that marriage was a union between one man and one woman. Let's take a brief look at these hearings to get a sense of what I'm talking about here. The first one took place on April 28, 2004. It was called by the Senate Committee on Education, Labor, and Pensions Subcommittee on Children and Families. Jeff Sessions of Alabama presided, and he was joined by Wayne Allard and Christopher Bond, Senator from Missouri. In his opening statement, Sessions set the terms of the debate and defined the enemy. Today, some say marriage is outdated, 
and unimportant. We hear this from certain academics, the popular media, and the secular left. With the Goodrich case in Massachusetts, no doubt in mind, the Alabama senator added, the importance of marriage is driven home with emphasis when high courts declare that the traditional definition of marriage is unconstitutional. One of the common ways conservatives argued against gay marriage was to invoke European nations that permitted the practice. Sessions was no different in this regard. I do not believe that we have to continue down the same path Europe is presently on, he said. It is not inevitable that we will have 60% of our children born to unmarried parents as they are in Denmark. We do not have to follow other countries or our own activist courts to tell us that traditional marriage is outdated. Sessions concluded his remarks by saying that marriage must be studied objectively in order to reverse the course the nation was taking in regards to the institution and use such objective study to prove that marriage of one man and one woman is and will always be the most ideal framework for a family. The first expert witness called was Wade Horn, the Assistant Secretary for Children and Families in the Bush administration, a conservative evangelical, and the former president of the National Fatherhood Initiative, a nonprofit organization that promoted responsible fatherhood. Horn pointed to research suggesting that children raised in stable, healthy marriages are less at risk for a host of negative developmental outcomes compared to children raised in unstable, unhealthy, and dysfunctional households. Adults in healthy marriages, he added, were happier, healthier, and accumulate more wealth compared to those who are not. Horn, who was often described by the press as Bush's marriage czar, spent the rest of his testimony explaining the president's bold initiatives to support the formation and stability of healthy marriages. The Supporting Healthy Marriage Project called for an increase in government spending for marriage education programs and specifically targeted premarital couples and those in troubled marriages. The project also included funding for the integration of marriage education programs into the child welfare system as a way of reducing the risk of child abuse and neglect. After a few initial questions, Senator Allard asked Horn about same-sex marriage. If we have two people marry of the same sex, the Colorado Senator queried, has that got a higher likelihood of success than not? Horn could not answer the question. As he put it, in America, two people of the same sex at the moment are not legally able to get married. So there is no research on this. The next group of witnesses were academics. Barbara Defoe Whitehead, the co-director of the National Marriage Project at Rutgers University, was perhaps best known for her 1993 essay in the Atlantic Monthly titled, Dan Quayle Was Right, in which she argued that the former vice president of the United States was correct when he criticized the fictional television character Murphy Brown for having a child outside of marriage. Whitehead argued that the disillusion of intact two-parent families was harmful to large numbers of children, and that single parent and step parent families weakened the social fabric of society. In her testimony before Sessions' committee, 
Whitehead said, we have not yet found, though I think we have tried, substitutes for marriage that can provide equivalent levels of voluntary and sustained economic and emotional investments in children over what is now a prolonged period of youthful dependency. Frank Keating, the former governor of Oklahoma, also testified. He used his time to describe programs he initiated in his state that reduced the number of divorces, out-of-wedlock births, and substance abuse and child abuse cases. Working with Oklahoma's faith-based community, Keating set out to strengthen the institution of marriage in the Sooner State. One week later, the Senate Committee on Finances Subcommittee on Social Security and Family Policy held a hearing titled, The Benefits of a Healthy Marriage. Of the 13 members of the subcommittee, only its chair, Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum and Kentucky Senator Jim Bunning were present for the hearing. Santorum opened the hearing by affirming marriage as a public good that government cannot just simply choose to ignore or something that we should cease to be neutral on. Santorum made it clear that the focus of the hearing was Bush's proposal for healthy marriages, but he also reminded those in attendance of the larger context, namely the debate on marriage itself, what marriage means and what benefits, if any, there are to society of stable two-parent families. The experts Santorum chose to testify said nothing about same-sex marriage, focusing instead on how divorce, drug addiction, poverty, and the general lack of commitment in American culture threatened the institution of marriage. In an appendix to the hearing minutes, Santorum added an article by two scholars from the Conservative Heritage Foundation explaining in more detail Bush's Supporting Healthy Marriage project. On May 13, only days before same-sex couples were permitted to marry in Massachusetts, Kansas Senator Sam Brownback led a hearing of the Science, Technology, and Space Subcommittee of the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Senate Committee. The hearing was titled, Social Scientific Data on the Impact of Marriage and Divorce. The records indicate that Brownback was the only senator present for the meeting. During the course of the hearing, he asked one of the expert witnesses, Steve Nock, a professor of sociology and psychology at the University of Virginia and the director of the university's Marriage Matters Project, if he was aware in light of what was about to happen to the institution of marriage in Massachusetts, of any data from any countries on the impact of same-sex marriage. Knox said that he was aware of a recent paper presented at the Population Association of America meetings earlier in the year, in which the researchers argued that divorce rates in the Netherlands were somewhat higher among legally married same-sex couples than among heterosexual couples. The study also found that divorce rates were higher among lesbian couples than among gay men. As far as Nock knew, this was the first paper of its kind, and there were no such studies in the United States for the obvious reason that there were no same-sex marriages yet. Brownback said he had seen research suggesting same-sex marriage would have a negative impact on or drive down the number of heterosexual couples that will get married in the United States. 
Knox said he was not aware of any research along those lines. Brownback also heard from Patrick Fagan, a fellow in family and cultural issues at the Heritage Foundation and Bush's former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. Of all the men and women who testified in these three hearings, Fagan was the most overtly Christian. By the way, he would later work for the Family Research Council. Fagan connected the decline of the American family to the collapse of 1950-style neighborhoods. He waxed nostalgic about neighborhoods where kids played a lot more, where families visited each other a lot more, and neighborhoods that sustained family life much easier. He added, there's huge stress on marriages today because the demands for relational capacities are almost entirely on the marriage because the communities don't support them. He then started talking about George Washington's 1796 farewell address. Washington, he said, drew attention to the need for the American people to be people of worship. If our experiment with freedom and our democratic form and Republican form is to succeed. In his formal paper that he submitted to Brownback's committee, Fagan elaborated on this point. When mothers and fathers belong to each other and strive to belong to God in worship, the greatest strengths emerge and the least problems are present. Through graphs and charts from a series of studies, he connected the worship of God to high grade point averages in schools and virginity among adolescents. In addition to Fagan's remarks, Brownback added another Christian right perspective to the appendix of the hearing record. This was a statement by William J. Murray, a Baptist minister, chairman of the Religious Freedom Coalition, a nonprofit concerned with religious persecution at home and abroad, and the son of noted atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare. Murray's written remarks made Fagan's comments at the hearing look mild by comparison. He argued specifically against the legalization of civil unions. Such unions, he argued, were a real danger to American society. Yes, they might appear harmless on paper, he said, but they threatened traditional marriage by promoting cohabitation, not only among homosexuals and lesbians, but among heterosexuals as well. Civil unions, he added, grant privilege without responsibility. Murray also expressed concern that the quote-unquote radical National Education Association would soon force homosexual education on the youth of the nation. He added, soon it would become very difficult to voice any disapproval of homosexual behavior in the schools or the workplace. Will a boy who refuses to date another boy be singled out for psychological treatment by school authorities because he is homophobic, Murray asked. Will a teacher who voices any disapproval of homosexual behavior be more likely to face lawsuits and loss of employment? Will refusing to date someone of the same sex prove prejudice and result in workplace discipline? In the end, the hearings presided over by Sessions, Santorum, and Brownback took on added significance in light of the events we have chronicled in our last several episodes and the fact that it was a presidential election year. But there was one more Senate hearing left before Congress voted on the Musgrave and Allard Amendment. 
And this meeting would include both Republican and Democratic senators from the prestigious Senate Judiciary Committee. Stay tuned. The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support button. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.